Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahiri, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that that this will bless you. We're going to be in the book of Revelation again for our message today. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles or your Bible on a device or a Bible underneath a chair near you, you can do that. There's a, a brief outline in the program, too, if that helps you to take notes or scribble there. And as always, if you want to follow up with me, talk to me after the service, after, before guided prayer time or after guided prayer time in the fellowship hall, or feel free to use that Connect card and we'll gather those in the offering plate. But we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19. There's only 22 chapters in Revelation. Uh, so that means we're getting near the end and we're scheduled to end it on Sunday, October 1st. And on the evening of Sunday, October 1st, uh, I neglected to mention this in the announcements, but we're going to have, a, we're calling it the Revelation Proclamation. Uh, and I, what that is, is we have a few of our readers who are going to be reading, just a few people, select readers that you see up here, and uh, they're going to volunteer to read the book of Revelation from chapter 1 to the end out loud. And the rest of us are going to sit and listen and just receive it as it was first received uh, in the seven churches that are mentioned in the beginning of Revelation when they got a scroll delivered and they heard uh, these visions, they heard these messages uh, out loud and spoken, read, and without, you know, without sermons interrupting it, things like that. We're just going to hear it uh, from start to finish. So I encourage you to consider attending on Sunday October 1st at, I believe it's at 7 p.m. It'll take an hour or so to read through the book of Revelation. Uh, and that will be our final crescendo for the ending of the book. Uh, we'll be to hear it together. And I've never done anything like that uh, myself. I've never been part of something like that. And maybe you haven't either. So you're like, this is weird. Well, maybe it will be. So sometimes it's good to show up to weird stuff and see what happens, right? Uh, you know, uh, that's the biggest meetings in town is where you think something weird's going to happen. People show up, I've learned in small towns. So something weird's going to happen. I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm not saying it's the end of the world. I, who knows? Better show up. Okay. Uh, so that's October 1st, 7 p.m. Well, we're coming near, as I said, to the end or the final phase of Revelation. And if you haven't spent time in this book... I encourage you to read it, and you'll notice that the final chapters get really, really positive. There's some tough stuff, as we're going to see here in chapter 19, but it, it, it gets really, in, uh, really joyous, and I, I almost said the word enjoyable. I think it does get enjoyable and encouraging in the final phase of the, the book of Revelation. And so part of what we're going to hear today is we're going to hear a praising, heavenly praising of, of our Lord in the heavenly throne room. And we're going to hear of the great feast that's called the, the, the Marriage Supper of the Lamb uh, in, in, again, the heavenly throne room in the heavens. And we're going to see Jesus Christ uniting with his people and Jesus Christ coming also victoriously. Now, we're going to hear these positive images or hear these positive visions, but we're also going to hear a difficult vision of another feast, not the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, but of another feast, and it's a a feast of judgment. It's a difficult image. Um, and so we're going to both hear of the victorious Lord arriving on a white horse, coming victoriously with the sword of the word of God coming from his mouth and things like that. 
And then we're also going to hear of a, a, a final difficult picture of, of judgment. So today uh, we're going to have much good news and reminders to praise and to pray. So as we do so, let's prepare our hearts and pray. Lord, may the the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our rock and our redeemer. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. You alone should we rightly fear. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. And God, you are pouring out these visions one after another in this book and some have really overwhelmed us they're bewildering at times Lord and yet we find ourselves coming back to the core truths that you are in charge and have a good plan so Lord help us again by your Holy Spirit to to see and hear and understand what we need to understand and maybe to set aside what we can't understand Help each person here. I, I pray that they would be praying for themselves as they listen to the word and to the message, that it would be an act of worship to you, Lord, but it would also be a, a process of discipleship, a process of growth for the, each one of them. I encourage your spirit, your Holy Spirit, to help them to pray for one another um, and to pray for me and other preachers as we declare your word, Lord. Thank you for really meeting us here in these times and teaching us and growing us. And may we live to honor you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we find ourselves in Revelation 19. Um, After hearing about the fall of Babylon in the last couple of chapters, we have this, what's called an interlude uh, in the book of Revelation or a turn towards heavenly praise. Starts with verse one and says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is the word of the Lord. And I told you, there's a lot of rejoicing and positive stuff. And then there's that image at the end that is also very difficult and this is what we've been experiencing in Revelation, a uh, rejoicing in God's plan and also the recognition that God is giving warnings of a coming judgment or a coming rectifying, rectification of all that was wrong, making right all that was wrong. And that can be difficult to hear those images. Uh, we'll talk about that. But uh, first I want to talk about the word hallelujah. We, we, you maybe have sung this word uh, quite a bit in your life, and maybe you've sung it without knowing what it means. You're just like, oh, it's a fun word to sing. And, uh, you know, the book of Revelation is written in Greek. Uh, that was the original language of the New Testament. And uh, this word, hallelujah, is used four times in this chapter, verses 1, 3, 4, and 6. And I think if you check me on this, that's the most condensed usage of hallelujah in the New Testament. Uh, and it, it's a word that is brought straight over, basically, 
uh, from Hebrew into Greek. Uh, it, it's just, a, it's an imported word, right? And it, so in, in Hebrew, it's the combination of two words, halal and yah. Halal on the front end, which just means to boast, to boast about something, to give praise about something. Like, and then yah, uh, here with a j, uh, but you know, it, it's a y sound. Uh, yah is short for Yahweh, or the holy name of God. And so hallelujah, or hallelujah, as we commonly say it, or alleluia, if you just want to say it with an A, it, it's saying we're boasting in God, we're praising of God, we're bragging on God for God's goodness, right? And so we, we said that word or read that word four times in, in this chapter alone. And so I want to consider who are they praising? There's a lot of praise going on here. The 24 elders, the four living creatures, and all these mighty uh, throng of people praising God, and, and that's who they're praising. They're praising God, praising God who is faithful and just and is, is caring about the blood that is being shed on earth. Did you notice that? The blood of his servants of good people who have died on earth. God is caring about that, and people are rejoicing that in the heavenlies that God cares about the wrongs that are done on earth. And isn't that good news, that God cares uh, sometimes there's a lot of people out there wondering, is there a God and is there a God that cares? Because there's a lot of bad stuff that happens. Well, the, the, the Bible says, yeah, there is a God who loves and cares and is paying attention and noticing. He doesn't interrupt every person's free choice and, and evil choice, but he does notice and care uh, about the, the difficult things that happen in this world, and he's going to make things right in the end. And, and so we see that the, the, those who are praising are, are heavenly beings and, and they're leading the praise with God's people and it's this resounding image. We're, we're hearing it, you know, red, but we're supposed to be imagining sounds, mighty sounds like rushing waters and peals of thunder and, and the 24 elders representing God's people who believe throughout all the nations, throughout all the centuries, old and new covenant alike, that they're worshiping God who makes all things right. So why are they praising? Again, because there is a God who is good and who's paying attention. And the violence and the injustice and the brokenness on the earth, including stuff that we've participated in, God, God is finding ways to resolve that rightly, completely, fully. As difficult as some of the images are about how he gives about that. He, he came as the Son of God to to make a way for people to admit their own brokenness and our own sin and our, how we participate in evil and injustice and, and, and made a way for us to be forgiven, right? But he's also a God who recognizes that there are many unreconciled things in the history of humanity and, and that have been done to us. The blood that has been spilled, right? the lives been lost. And so God with his perfect fairness, and I think that's really important to remember in Revelation, with all these difficult images of people getting thrown into lakes of fire and, and judged, and God is perfectly fair, right? He's, he's not gonna do anything wrong. For example, you know, I, I read this with a couple of different groups this week, and, and then the birds eat the horses, and people are like, that's not right. That's, that shouldn't be in there. What do the horses do? Okay, fair, fair, fair question, right? Uh, this is an image, you know, it's not, it, it, we don't have a God up there who's like, ah, oh, you know, horses are evil. Uh, this is an image of, uh, of, of, of 
people um, and we could say even powers that are involved in evil. Um, so do I, do I think that God is going to, to kill um, specific horses? Is that the image? I, no, I don't, I really. I, I, uh, but I, I, I do think weapons of war that have been used for injustice or machines of war or uh, governments of violence and injustice systems Things, you know, a horse is a transportation, a living transportation system for a human being to get from one place to another. There have been systems and weapons that humans have used to get their evil from one place to another, right? Tools of destruction and violence, tools of oppression, uh, things used uh, that, uh, by human beings to do evil to one another. And these things are not going to exist in eternity. So they're being picked apart. Not horses specifically, I don't think, but, uh, but things that, that humans have, have used. So, so my point behind that point is to say, God is perfectly fair. And if you heard this and said, this is very unfair, God's picking on horses. Or, or maybe one of those people is actually good and the bird came down and got somebody when he wasn't looking. Don't worry about that. <laughs> it, 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 it's an image of God saying, I know exactly what's going on. And those who have mistreated people and, and used the gift of life selfishly to abuse or, or to harm and have rejected my mercy. Uh, and, and God has warned people over and over again, right? He's not gonna unfairly condemn any person. Uh, and so as someone who utterly rejects him and doesn't even want his loving presence in eternity, would prefer to just be with themselves in eternity, there is a judgment coming for those. And again, this theme of you can only be made whole by God and God's presence in your life. You can only be integrated or made whole. He's what your center of gravity is, what we've been saying in Revelation. And without him holding you together, if you're, you're your center of gravity or, or your selfish pursuits of wealth in this life is your center of gravity or power or control, in the end, in eternity or when you die, that's not enough to hold you together. You will disintegrate like birds picking you apart. It's a terrible image, but it's meant to like shock people. Did it shock you, hopefully? You say, this is in the Bible? We tell kids to read this, right? Uh, they gorged on their flesh? That's, uh, that's the point. It, you shouldn't want to be separate from God. It's not a good ending, right? And so the, the people of God are praising a God like this because they live in a world, particularly these first readers, but also the, 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 the angels and others looking down from heaven that, that can see this world, the immorality of it, and, and, and the brokenness in this world. This world is a beautiful place, too, with lots of good and lots of morality and lots of charity and kindness. But then there's others who take advantage of all of that, right? And God is going to rectify the situation. So... What is praise? I want, I, you know, we talk about worshiping God and, and maybe you've sat in church before and you thought, is praise just singing notes and singing words? I mean, that's kind of how we do it, but you can, you can actually mechanically praise God in many ways, right? You can do it with your thoughts, with your actions, with your hands, with loving kindness towards other people. Uh, but praise uh, is, again, if you look at that word hallelujah, it's it's boasting in, the, in God, boasting what God has done. So what is praise? Uh, you've maybe praised a kid before, right? And you want them to know that they did a good job. So you say, really good job. You know, and you say their name. 
Good job, good boy, good girl, right? Straightforward statements of, of praise for that kid, recognizing and honoring the good that they have done. And so at a very basic level, I think human beings, young and old, can understand praise. It's acknowledging the good truth of something and giving honor where honor is due. Thanking someone for something, saying that was really good. Now, God is a perfect God and God is perfectly secure. He's not an egomaniac who needs our praise, you know, and that's one of the accusations of atheists and others who are kind of skeptical about a God. Why does God demand your praise? What kind of, you know, needy God is that? God is perfectly secure. <laughs> he, he doesn't need our praise, but he is worthy of our praise. And, and there's something about, right about praising and giving honor where honor is due. And when we give honor to God and what God has done, the free gift of life that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that he wants relationship with you, that he gave you the gift of prayer, that he's, that he's promising eternal life for you, and many, many, many more gifts. Giving honor to the one who's given us so many gifts just makes sense, right? And when we live as people who praise and regularly give thanks to God for all the blessings he's given us and just who God is, we are people who will generally do that to other people. Right? And recognize and give thanks to little kids and adults and people when they pass away and have lived a good life and to strangers when they serve. Well, you know, we, we, will, we will be salt of the earth, right? Reminding people that all of this comes from somewhere and there's a better way to live. So praise is, um, I guess you say, when we praise down on earth, we're echoing something that's done in the heavenlies. Right, we, we, we saw that, and, and in that way we're saying that heaven is real, God is real. And so we're seeing this glimpse or these sounds, this music of heaven, and part of the music of heaven is living as people who give honor where honor is due because that's kind of at the center of the universe, a God who is honorable and wants honorable people. Not a God who's insecure and needy and needs to be praised, but a God who is wonderful and beautiful, and it's fun to praise God. And people who think that heaven is going to be a killjoy just don't get it. It's going to be marvelous, right? Have you ever gone to a festival, a feast, this supper that we're hearing here that's just really fun where you're celebrating a wedding or celebrating something joyful and it's just wonderful and you're just, you wake up the next day and you're still feeling like that was wonderful. That's going to be heaven over and over and over again. Because at the center of it is a God who is wonderful and honorable. But he wants us to have that feeling in life now. Life, when we focus on what is true and good and beautiful, is wonderful. And when we remember that the bad parts of life are going to be dealt with, and we don't have to take vengeance on that, because God is going to do that. So we can focus on the good and the honorable and the lovely, and we can, we can hate what is evil and the immorality, and we can try to purge it out of our lives, but we're going to focus on sharing the good and the hopeful and the beautiful, right? We're going to seek to worship God. That's what Revelation is. You know, Revelation is a book about many things and about the end plan of God, but I, I hope you've been seeing that Revelation is a book about worshiping God, and, and, and in the heavenly, there's worship going on, and they, they fall down before him. They throw their, their, their crowns before him, right? It, it's about worshiping God, and it, it's calling the churches, those first seven churches, but the churches throughout the ages, life is about worshiping God. And don't be tempted to worship anything or anyone else. Don't worship the empire or the emperor. That was one of the temptations for people back then, but still now, right? Don't, don't, don't worship politics or power. Don't worship reputation or achievements. Don't worship celebrities. Don't worship money or house or family or friendships. Even those things that are good, don't put them in the place of the ultimate 
because you, you can't then honor them or give thanks for them in the right way. So make sure you don't put your house in first place or your, your spouse in first place or your family in first place. Put God always in first place and then you will rightly appreciate and honor those other beautiful blessings in your life, family and spouse and, and house and other things, right? Because nothing else can keep us integrated and whole. Give thanks for all the blessings and worship God, but, but praise the blesser and don't just praise the blessings, right? So let's look at Jesus quickly here. <laughs> uh, and the horse and the birds and the battle. Uh, chapter 19 is memorable for a lot of things. The marriage of the supper, lamb, of, uh, the supper of the lamb is very famous. And, uh, but here, uh, that, that supper is not actually described in depth. But Jesus arriving on it, this white horse victorious with the word of God coming from his mouth and with uh, people following behind him. Uh, notice they don't come out in front of him. We follow behind and we are clothed in white too because of his righteousness. But, but we see we see. Christ coming, the mighty Christ, the victorious Christ coming again. And he has a name that we don't even know. And that's to humble us. There's things about Christ that we don't know that are beyond maybe our understanding and that are yet to be revealed. But what we do know, it says here clearly, is he is king of kings and lord of lords. And he arrives mighty and victorious with that sword, right? And that sword is a sword of truth, which for those who love him, it tells the truth of his love that we've accepted. And for those who have rejected him and have chosen evil and selfishness, it tells the truth that they, they, they should not do that. And there is a judgment coming. And so, yes, there's the description of the marriage of the supper of the Lamb where God's people are reunited with him. And it's a marriage feast in a sense because the bride of Christ, the people of God are reunited with their Lord in an in a, in a ongoing, close, intimate relationship forever. But then there's this other side of the feast and this difficult set of images where we hear of the judgment and, and, and this, this lake of fire burning with salt, sulfur, right? And, and you can just maybe some of you smelling that as you hear that or thinking about that smell. And you see the armies of the beast who are slain by that sword and then the birds doing their thing, feasting on the flesh. And frankly, reading this, I, you know, I go, I didn't grow up hearing these in church. And, and maybe, so maybe you go, these don't seem like church-approved visions, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but here they are in Scripture. In Scripture. And it's a vivid description. And it's meant to be a vivid description about the future of evil. And here's the future of evil. There is none. Isn't that good news? See how intense that image was, right? It's going to be taken apart. Bit by bit, bite by bite is the image. Taken down and gone. Right? Finality. And I think sometimes we wonder, when will this stop? Fill in your this. This thing that you wish was different in your family or in the community or in earth history. Evil will stop one day. God is noticing, God is caring, and evil will not survive. This, this comes over from images in, in the Old Testament where God said the same thing, and actually, you know, like Jezebel, this in the Old Testament, a bad, bad character, this literally happened to her, <laughs> we hear, where birds took care of her in the end. 
It's a difficult image, but God wanting us to know that people can't just live their life here on earth and it just, and take advantage of people and hurt people and then it just doesn't matter. God is going to make all things right in his justice. So though evil appears to be winning at times in the world, and many people will look at the injustice of the world and say, and ask a fair question, where is God? And is God taking notice? Revelation's answer is, yes, there is a God. And God hates evil the same as your heart is aching against that evil. That's why you're asking that question. And God notices and cares and is going to ultimately rectify the situation. And God is not the author of our violence, our evil, or injustice. In fact, God longs to stop it. God is the one teaching us the better way from of old, telling us to love our brother when instead Cain killed Abel, right? Telling us to forgive one another. To, he's been saying that old and new. Telling us the better way. In fact, he came to earth himself after sending prophet after prophet, many of whom were killed, he came to earth himself. And what did we do to him? The perfect message of love in human flesh. We killed him. And yet he knew we were going to do that. And he used that as the way that he was beginning the beginning of the end to deal with all evil and to get rid of all sin. Right? Because he knew that the issues that we face, he would have to ultimately intervene himself to rectify them. So this is encouraging, this chapter and all the book of Revelation because it's saying God is in charge, God loves us, God notices and cares, and God longs for the evil to come to a stop, and he is working all of history to a beautiful crescendo where one day, and we're gonna see it soon in these chapters, where one day there will be no more death, no more dying, no more pain, no more evil, but in the meantime, there's some battles, right? And we see a battle here. And we see the battle beginning, and we're gonna hear about it in chapter 20 next week, but here's the thing about the battle, and it's gonna be relatively brief. It's over like this for God. Evil is not, when, he gave all the people participating in evil a long time, a chances, chances to repent, because he's merciful and good, and longs for all people to repent. But in the end, God will not be mocked and the, the battle is brief. And then suddenly there's no more abusers. There's no more tyrants. There's no more refugees. Well, there's people who were refugees, but there's no more cause to be a refugee. There's no more bombs. There's no more school shootings. There's no more overdoses. There's no more kids wondering if they're loved. The evil forces are taken care of. So revelation is a gift. And revelation is given for our encouragement. I hope you've been seeing that. I hope you are encouraged today that God cares and is paying attention and is working his good plan. And revelation is also given that we would persevere, endure, Hold fast. Don't let evil get you down. Somebody's picking on you. Don't, you know, pray that the God of mercy would wake them up and they'd stop picking on you, right? If there's evil you hate in the world, 
work against it. Find out any ways you're participating in it. Get it out of your life. But know and trust that God is going to undo it one day and persevere and keep doing that which is good. Keep following and him and living in his ways as best you know how. And remember, remember this, that you are not fighting the battle alone. That the point of revelation is he is Lord of Lord, King of Kings. And the battle belongs to the Lord. Ultimately, it's, it's, it's not your battle to face. And sometimes you feel alone in your fights. Maybe it's an internal emotional thing. Maybe it's a family thing. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a thing you care about with the world. I don't know. But I want you to know you're never alone in your battles. God is the one who put your heart together and, and he knows what you care about. And God is, is the one who wins the battles. So give your battle to God. He's already there with you in it already. So what is the battle you are facing? Or battles? I want you to know you're not facing it alone. Maybe you already know that. Just remember it and appreciate it today. That God takes notice and God wants us to yield the battle to him. He wants us to ride behind him and let him lead out victoriously, right? To use our faith to lean on his spirit, to speak the truth of his word and to love. God, we thank you that the battle, the great battle, capital B, belongs to you. And there are things simply that we cannot defeat that only you could do for us. Defeating death and evil and sin. And there are many battles in our life, Lord, that also we, we don't know how to fix. Maybe some of them we won't see the conclusion we want to see in our lifetimes. But we yield all of them to you, believing you are King of kings and you are Lord of lords. And you will make all things right in the end, Lord. You have a name we do not know and you have ways that are higher than our ways. And so we hand over all these battles and these troubles to you. The people in our lives that are struggling with addiction or identity. The patterns and and brokenness in our cultures, Lord, in families and communities we hand to you. People living without you and without your hope in their lives, we hand this to you. We ask, O Lord, that you would make us persevering witnesses of your true, real love. Help us endure. Help us to never give up. Be our strength, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you. And if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook, or we are on uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at palousechurch.org to connect with me or to send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way, and may God bless your day.